two binary bastions of the beautiful ball game are back as we bustle towards the bewitching bliss of ball being bound again to our boxes. Bayern and Barcelona will be burning to go back to back to back to back and keep the Blaugrana and Bavarian bloodlines burning bright. In Deutschland, Dortmund draw daggers to down the domineering dynasty, desperate to defeat the Red Dragon. And emigrating across, Espana's eminent examination of endurance innovates into existence. The Saturnalia of the Spanish season sparks suddenly into substance and starts seductively in the simmering sauna of the San Mamés at sundown on the Sabbath. Fire, flames, a fascinating fiesta of football from Asturias to Andalusia, Cantabria to Catalonia, Madrid to Murcia, from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, light the lanterns and lock the locks. La Liga has liftoff. Welcome to BR Football Ranks, ladies and gentlemen, here to walk you through these two leagues setting off on another epic journey. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your narrator and guide on our sonic expedition through Germany and Spain and welcome back to the rank god having had the happiness of a holiday this is a homecoming of heroic hugeness carrying the pod by yourself like some sort of Hercules welcome back thank you Jack and can I just praise you what an intro a rare first take a rare first a rare first take he likes to pretend otherwise but this usually takes us around 30 to 40 minutes it's time for hot takes it is time for hot takes you're not used to this because normally you get three or four goes to perfect your hot take (laughs) and now you have to go off the bat i usually need three or four days but uh, my holiday cut that short anyway i am back and my hot take is i have decided how the bundesliga top six are going to finish right how nice of me that is good uh so we'll go six to one okay schalke and sixth they were basically relegated last season, so this is pretty bold. And yeah, this, this is why cool. this is why it's a big hot take. Schalke in sixth, then Wolfsburg moving up into fifth after a good end to the season last season. Leipzig in fourth, Leverkusen in third. That's a big call as well. Bayern in second, which means Dortmund are the champions. Okay. What do you think? There's three big calls in there. Well, there are yeah, okay. six, maybe. <laughs> but Dortmund finishing ahead of Bayern is the obvious one. Yeah. Then Leipzig finishing below Bayer is quite a big call mm. because... There's a lot of hype around this Leipzig side. There's a yeah. lot of chat about but them being... they're always yeah, but They've signed well. You look at their business in the window, it seems like they're on course to, to really push on again this year. And I think someone like Hertha Berlin might have something to say about being sick. Uh, yeah, okay. So Hertha Berlin weren't that great last season they either. Weren't. So like if you're taking Hertha Schalke Berlin... Schalke also as, as, weren't very good. No, they were worse. <laughs> but if, we're both, if, you're taking, if you're adopting Hertha Berlin as your like... You're, you're sort of runner for sixth place and I'm taking Schalke. We're both basically backing two teams that weren't very good last season to make a recovery and to leap back up the league. And that, honestly, that's often one of the most compelling storylines, yeah. particularly when it comes to, well, to the Bundesliga as well, because teams seem to fall up and down very harshly. Um, Schalke, I look at their squad and I like what they've done this summer as well. I like the manager, David Wagner. They're inevitably going to bounce back. Last year was an aberration. You, yeah. have to, you have to say that. And so with, with the way Wagner kind of sets up his teams with the high energy approach, I'm expecting some kind of quick form reaction in the same way that kind of Antonio Conte gets a lot out of his team early on. And that's why I have them in sixth. With Leipzig and Leverkusen, I can, kind of, I can kind of see third or fourth. Like I think with Nagelsmann now in charge of Leipzig, um, and boss in charge of Leverkusen. They're both going to be defensively completely open. Neither of those two coaches are particularly good at setting up shop. So whichever way that forms, I don't know. And then Dortmund at top. Right, yeah, let's talk through this. Let's this talk is a this. Big call. This is a big call. But they weren't far off last season. No. In fact, they had an eight or nine point lead at a certain point last season. And they kind of botched it. So what they've done this season or this summer is that they have added quality in the form of Torgan Hazard, in the form of Julian Brandt, in the form of Nico Schultz, which is great. It's deeper and it's better. 
Um, Sancho continues to get better. I think Lucien Favre is a better manager than Niko Kovac. Yeah, I think that's And I think Mats Hummels is a better signing than some people think. Yeah, right. This has been criticised. It was quite a lot of money. He's obviously got older you know yeah. they paid more for him than Bayern did from them when he was younger which is kind of mad sure, if you think about yeah, it it's five years later but well yeah it's five years later being yeah. the key point yeah. in that he wasn't now he's paid they've paid more than what Bayern did when he was in the prime of his youth no it's as in the Neymar deal changed the financial complexities okay, of right. this entire sport but a lot of people have had a lot to say about this Hummels deal yeah. so I mean I would be interested to hear your take on it. you think it's a good bit of business I think it's good yeah I mean I, I agree with everybody who was saying that this guy is in minor decline or, or that he ha- is not what he was because he isn't quite what he was but he's still very very good you just have to use him in the correct way and what Dortmund were really lacking last season was a little bit of veteran presence and leadership at the back they sort of threw it away due to mistakes in defence. And it's because they were playing with a very young defensive line. Now, I it's a bit cliche to say like, oh yeah, they're young, they're going to make mistakes, they're inexperienced. It's all kind of true. Clichés exist for a reason. And now they're probably looking at Hummels and Akanji as a centre-back partnership. It's a wonderfully balanced pair. It's got a lot of quality. It's got a lot of speed in Akanji. And it's got a guy who's won a World Cup in Hummels. Yes. Right? This, this is the presence and the player that they needed to take that next step, I think. So along with Sancho, along with Royce, along with all the other very talented players they've got, that leadership vacuum at the back was a problem. And I think they've done a really good job in fixing that. So that's why I think they are going to go one further. Also playing into the fact is Bayern haven't had the best summer. Um, They have now announced Ivan Perisic, who is like their eighth choice winger for the for the for the window having missed out on on so many Leroy Sané and Nicolas Pepe and Kai Havertz hasn't come this summer so they've had a a, a bit of a rough window at points and I don't think they've got that much stronger Lucas Hernandez is great but the whole team I think they all the existing players will need to step up and I think Dortmund actually are going to close this one out this time I think if you watch the Super Cup then you can see quite early on that Bayern were a little bit sluggish and Dortmund were lightning yeah. on the counter. Lightning, and that's without talking Hazard, yeah, yeah. without adding him to the mix. And I think what they've done in Hazard and Brandt especially, and Schultz, who can play left back and left wing, is they've added some versatility, mm-hmm. which they potentially didn't have before. It was very much, if these players didn't play, then who replaces them? And, and that's no disrespect to Wolf or even Goetze, who's come into that side here and there to, to play on different roles. But yeah. someone like Brandt, or, or Hazard, who can play pretty much across the front line behind the striker. And, you know, Brandt even further back in centre midfield, if you're really dominating games, does give them so many different options to, I don't know, like to, to rotate that squad, to, to kind of tweak formations. And, and Favre is a, ma- a master of tweaking formations to make things work. Yeah, you could now plan by opposition. Now, they, they could to an extent last season. They had quite a lot of options in that number six position where, where they would play Axel Witzel or they would play Thomas Delaney or they would play Julian Weigl. They had a lot of options in there. They didn't necessarily have that much to change up top. It was Alcacer or Gotza or what the hell are we doing? And that's different now. That could take them over the edge in addition to that Hummels acquisition at the back. Okay, right. I'm going to move it on to my hot take. And my hot take is that I am taking umbrage with a point that you made in an article that you wrote what a change what a change you wrote an article called biggest overreactions to the premier league weekend you can read it on the bleacher report app or the website uh, in which you basically said i think that manchester united were a bit lucky in many regards oh 
I think it was a bit unfair. I don't think they were lucky to win the game. No, but in terms of it could have gone very differently. Could have done. Yes, you're right in some regards in that obviously Chelsea hit the post twice, once at 0-0 and once at 1-0 down. Two things that maybe changed the complexion of the game a little bit. But I'd also raise that at those points, you've got a back four from Manchester United who are very much still getting used to each other, who are learning their trade. And in terms of reasons to be excited for Manchester United, and the official line of the overreaction was Manchester United are back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's there's something in it. I, I really do. I think that Manchester United should be excited. Yes, there was moments against Chelsea that were a little bit harem scare and a little yeah, bit all were. over the place. But also Chelsea are a really good team. They're, and they're actually not though. They're, but they, they, they are they, they, one of the better sides in the Premier League. And so the problem with Manchester United last year and for much of the years, it was that they were actually really poor against weak sides. Yeah. And, and a lot of sides gave them a run for their money at Old Trafford and they failed to close out games when they were the better side and when they were the worst side. They mm-hmm. basically didn't do any of the things you would expect of a Manchester United side. I think with that back four, as they get stronger and stronger, United have a base now to yeah, yeah. build on. And I think that Manchester United will be in that top four race. So I think they're in the top four race. I think they're going to finish outside of it. And I think Chelsea, for the record, well, I put it in my in, in, in last Friday's no? pred- predictions for the Premier League table 1-20. to 20. I put Chelsea in eighth. I took a lot of love from the Chelsea fans for that one. But maybe after the 4-0, they, they actually a couple of them were starting to see what I was getting at, which is this is quite a weak crop, basically. And I know they want to believe in, in Lampard and it, it's a bit more fun to do so. But like the realities of it all were very, made very clear on Sunday afternoon. But back to United, well worth lauding the result. And I would never deny that. Like After basically being held winless against Cardiff and Huddersfield in the final two games of last season, two already relegated sides. Enjoy this. Enjoy it. Enjoy a 4-0. Enjoy Pogba picking out passes over the top. Enjoy, enjoy a Dan James debut goal. Like it, it was brilliant. But <laughs> Chelsea aren't very good, basically, is, my one, is one takeaway. It could have been very different. Tammy Abraham thwacks the post. Emerson hits it. Goals change games at key times and mistakes change games. And Kurt Zuma didn't need to do what he did. But had no. he not done that, how does this game finish? If Abraham's shot goes an inch to the right and Zuma doesn't do that stupid thing, how does this game finish? It's worth, it's worth lauding United and, 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 and enjoying the result. But the game was not a 4-0. No, it wasn't. Right? I don't, I don't and think so, that's and the so point. That, and so then you've got other bits that add into this as well. I thought the midfield was basically absent for about... Uh, 60 minutes until Chelsea collapsed. It really wasn't there. Things to be concerned about for sure. Wasn't a 4-0 game. I think it was a 2-0 win, basically, in terms of what actually happened. Fair enough. But just like calm down a little bit, basically. The theme of the article was overreactions and there was an overreaction to that performance. Okay. Particularly from members of the media as well. I just thought that United's Front three looked good. Like yeah. they looked sharp. It did look they looked good. quick, and they looked like you know. Apart from occasional moments where uh, Rashford refused to to chase down his winger to you know really cover Luke Shaw, but that will come. Mm. That will come with time. But apart from that, I thought they were good. They were strong, and they looked like they were going to cause havoc every time they got into the Chelsea box. Now, whether that is a question of Chelsea's defence being a little bit all over the place or United being good but that kind of pace with the ability of Paul behind them if they can get a solid back four that don't concede many goals Man United will be up and about this season and I, I think, think that's if, the point I think if they all settle fair enough but the, the point wasn't to say you know this is this is ridiculous United are still not going to do anything it was like understand the context of what happened and how different that could have been and how these these this is the first step that's it 
Okay. All right. As ever, we let you decide the third hot take for today in the poll. And we had a battle of the brand new Premier League midfield enforcers. Mm. Tottenham's Tangai and Dombele beat out Rodri of Manchester City to take our discussion point. Sam, you were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday. What did you make of the Frenchman's debut? So I thought he was amazing. And I'm the only one. You are. What the hell happened, Twitter? What's this? So basically, I decided that this all falls into about three different schools of thought. There are loads of people that just thought he was crap. Loads of people who thought he was crap until half time. Yeah. And loads of people who think he was crap until the goal. I just thought he was great. What are you all on about? So basically, here's, here's, here's where I am. I have noticed as well, going to games and then watching them on TV, I think there are two positions that you, you see very differently from TV and in the stands. And you will appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. The two I pick out are fullback and central midfield. Because it's when you're in the stadium that you genuinely get a feel for, and you often forget about it when you're watching on TV, how little time these people have on the ball and how fast and freakishly strong these players are. Like, these are incredible athletes, yeah, yeah. incredible footballers, fullbacks pinned up against the line, working with two inches either way to try and get the ball out into different spaces. It's so difficult. Midfielders, when they're being dogged and pressed, it's so, so hard. So, the first 15 minutes or so of Ndombele's game, I thought was quite poor. But after that point, I thought he started to really, really start to flex. And I think there are people that came out of that game thinking Moasa Sissoko played well and then Dombele didn't. And I really don't understand that because Sissoko looked absolutely terrified every time he got into a shooting position, every until time he Christian got on Erickson the ball, came on. until Ericsson came on. Ericsson changed this game. Absolutely, 100%. But within Dombele, what I saw and what I loved, and believe me, like I was squealing and gasping and letting out low murmurs of appreciation for him. From the, I really pity everyone else from the press. From the, from the, yeah, I think the guy to my left was like, come on, mate. Just, um, he was taking touches into space, which is a trademark of Ndombele. His first touch is always basically back across his marker and he backfoots his markers and, and makes it so that they can't chase him. That's how he creates his space. And I saw it for the first time in the flesh, having watched it on TV for Leon. Yeah. And I thought, this is incredible. And as he really started to find his groove, his, his weird dribbling ability started to show itself. Then obviously he scores that goal, that rocket, and that really caps it off. But I was, I was a big fan of what he put together on that first game in a Tottenham team that looked really weak. They did look considering bad. Considering how strong they can and really unsure in a, in a diamond formation that I just don't think suits many of them, to be no, honest. No, it's a weird thing that Pochettino does, and I think it's a point to prove against Ericsson, if, if anything, to be like, look, we need you in this side, please sort yourself out, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was into that second school of thought. I thought he was poor until half time. And then after half time, I thought he was much, much more impressive. Uh, but I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of it's very difficult to kind of get that from a non being there and being live situation. And I don't want to sound snobby. No, no, no. I think and, that's and, fair. Like, because it's like, oh, no, I was there, whatever. Like, that, that's that shades of kind of like Chelsea fan base last season with the Sarri out versus Sarri in brigade. Like, the whole, oh, I go to the state, I go yeah, to the stadium. Yeah. That's not, that's quite poisonous. And I really don't want it to come across as that. But there are certain positions that you just, you see differently when you're in the stadium. Yeah, I just thought he was a bit cumbersome first half would have been my take. And, and it was, you know, very much pace of the Premier League. And, and while I appreciate that, he, you know, the ball would come into him and you'd look to him to sort of do something or, or not create as such because we know he's not necessarily that player. But I thought until after half time he was better when Ericsson came on and relieved the creative burden in terms of, okay, now there is movement, there is things around him, there is places to go. Mm. 
then suddenly it looked like he was a world beater. And yeah, I think yeah. that that's the difference. It's not necessarily he had a bad and a good first half. It was that once the creative burden was removed, mm. he looked like a world beater. And that's very different. Yeah, because Wings was a Winks, sorry, Wings. Winks was the deepest player. He was rotating the ball around. He also did his hamstring in the first half and yeah. ended up coming off. Sissoko just isn't that good at breaking people down. So it really did come to him because Lamella didn't do a lot between the lines either. No. And as you say, he's not that player. So maybe the disconnect is that that's where it comes from. The expectation versus what he actually is and then mix in the fact that he was put in a pretty tough situation for the first 60. Yeah, well, I also thought Villa were good and they, they pressed very well. Mm. And, and McGinn and, and Grealish in the two sort of free eights, if you want, will were very, very good. And, and that will put pressure on the centre midfielders. And, and in that regard, I suppose, it's dealing with a good side as much as it is. McGinn versus Ndombele was a lot of fun. It was, it a, was lot of fun. a lot, a lot of, of fun. fun. Two very good midfielders going, going at each other. Going head and, to head. And Ndombele ended up coming out on top. But just. That's what, uh, it just, and that's what sort of 70-odd million will get you, I guess. I guess. Well, that is all for Hot Takes, which will lead us on to this week's big rankings. Sam is going to be doing a La Liga lowdown after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, and it is time for this week's big ranking. So, Sam, today we're going to take a walk through La Liga and their top six. You're going to talk us through the European spots all the way from six to one, and then we're going to discuss them all in a little bit more depth. So, let's get it. Yeah, similar to the Bundesliga hot take, but a little bit more thought behind it, I guess. Uh, we'll discuss it a little bit more anyway. And in at number six, actually, we're just gonna, I'm just going to give you the floor. Real Betis, off you go. I think this is slightly unfair. I think that Betis have a squad now that can compete for a Champions League spot. Is That's, that all you've got to say? Well, I mean, there's there's lots of it. I, <laughs> I have I have betters at four this year. Okay. I think, you know, you look at who they've brought in. Obviously, Setien left the club at the end of last season after a brilliant but mixed tenure, I mm. think. And, and while his philosophies were beautiful and brought incredible football to Betis, it was a little bit <laughs> harem scarum at times. I've used that phrase three times on this podcast already today. Only three is allowed. Four Only three. You get a punch. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I just think that with someone like Ruby, obviously Ruby took Espanyol to seventh last season in this league. They weren't a particularly good squad. Mm-hmm. And I think that with a much better squad here in this better squad, with, with a lot of attacking talent, if he can get the best out of that talent, then I think that Betis are on for a real win. There are some problems, obviously. We haven't quite replaced Junior Firpo at left back yet. I mean, he was only sold last week, but mm. he's obviously gone to Barcelona to be Jordi Alba's heir, we imagine. He's a brilliant footballer and, and Betis will miss him, but they need to bring in a left back and they potentially need to bring in a striker because there is goals, only one striker man. in the squad. There's loads of goals in attacking midfield, though. Yeah, loads but, of so goals. So Lacelso was responsible for quite a lot of goals last year. He was. And he's gone. He has gone. You but he has been stri- replaced by Nabil Fekir, who loves goals. You still need a striker. Correct. But there are the move for Borja Iglesias seems to be rolling. Um, I think that one will, will come through. And I think he will score. What about the Milik move? The Milik move excited me a lot. But I just don't know if that's going to go through at this okay. point. Borja right. Iglesias seems like the one that will happen okay so basically until 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 more evidence is put in front of me with mostly with regard to the strikers but also a little bit to do with the left back and the goalkeeper because this season Paolo Lopez Junior Firpo and Giovanni Lo Celso have all gone they're three pretty big players I know oh. Fekir's in and I, I'm sure casual observers will be thinking wow Fekir Betis they're on for big ones there are holes to fill and until the striker thing is, is fixed, I, I can't I can't back Betis to outgun the five teams that I have ahead of them. I think that if Betis bring in a good striker and a left back, they're on for a Champions League spot. Okay, I can get on board with that. 
but they haven't done that at the moment. So they are in sixth place into number five. Okay. It's Sevilla. That Don't must, like it. That must sting. Stings. Yes, I'm not doing it on purpose, I promise. Uh, for those unaware, Sevilla and Real Betis, great inner city rivals. Jack writhing in his chair. Can't really there we are. So, Sevilla, the, the, the conversation around Sevilla is almost always about transfers, particularly now that Monchi is back. He's back where he belongs. I mean, I look, I am actually not 100% mad on what I've seen here because there have been some good signings and I'll fully admit that I'm not actually that familiar with some of them, particularly the defensive acquisitions. So we'll see how they go. But Oli Torres, Munis Dabor, Joan Jordan, I can't pronounce his name, and Reguillon. I like I like I like those acquisitions. What really balances this out for me in the in, in in a bad way is that Pablo Sarabia is gone. I was going to say Sevilla have lost their best player. They've lost Sarabia and for not a very good price because of a release clause. They've brought in Luke de Jong, which makes me go. Ugh. What's top scorer in the Eredivisie last season? Means though? absolutely nothing. And Luke de Jong, we've seen enough of by now in other leagues as well. I. Do you want me to make that noise again? I'm not convinced. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's call it that. And they seem to be, at the time of speaking, pretty intent on selling Wissam Ben Yedda, which yeah, I find weird. to be absolutely insane because I think he's one of the most underrated players at the top level. I think a lot of people just kind of fail to realise just how much he does for a team and how effective he is in so many different areas. Absolutely. So this is why I have them fifth. Now, obviously, these concerns maybe don't outweigh the ones I have with Betis. Striker, left back, goalkeeper. And if they lose um, Ben Yedder, then that's that's a big because currently, like you say, wow. currently they haven't lost Ben Yedder. So yeah, that but is they say, But Munas Dabor is is a very nice acquisition. Yeah, good, he's a very good nice player. and it, and he's a similar kind of kind of guy. You yeah. would say right. So I'm kind of I'm kind of into that. Um, but as I say, that very often the the, the discourse around Sevilla is about their transfers because they're always going to be basically in the top seven. You're not exactly sure exactly where. I don't think they've done enough this summer based on the squad so far and based on what I think the squad's going to look like to breach that top four. The okay. same as Real Betis right now. All right. So who have you got four? In number four is Valencia. You've done this. See, I'm, this is, I, I dropped Valencia out of the top six. Okay, why? Because Valencia are in the middle of a civil war. Yeah, I did. I did. I do acknowledge this. Okay, go but on. But the then. first battle appears to have gone by not smoothly, but it. I mean, everyone's it. still at the, at the everyone club. is currently still at the club. For for context here, a few weeks ago, the owner of Valencia, Peter Lim, he fell out with uh, general manager Matteo Alemani, who is brilliant. Who's brilliant. He came close to leaving. The manager Marcelino, who has done such a great job with them over the last few years also said that he would follow him out the door if he goes. So basically the owner, over a disagreement, I think over the Maxi Gomez transfer, Correct. nearly lost his general manager and his manager. And then the players had to step in. Then the players stepped in and were like, well, don't, yeah, you guys can't go. Like we, we signed up to our project here. You guys have convinced us to stay for the next five years. Like, well, you can't just walk out on us. This actually isn't that infrequent at Valencia. They cannot get out of their own way. But if we... If we if we call the civil war done and dusted, which we probably can't, but for the purposes of the exercise, there hasn't been another one just yet, and just focus on the football, they already had a very good team. They finished fourth last season, and th- I liked what I saw from them. What they've done is they've added Maxi Gomez. They've really needed to find a clinical striker up top, and yeah. because they had like four last year, and quite None a lot, of score, quite God. a lot of them were, were missed a lot of chances. Kevin Gamero, I'm, I'm looking at you. Um, we, we covered a lot of Valencia for the latter stages of the Europa League with our live shows and we we lamented the fact that they create a lot of chances and they have four strikers to call on and none of them did the business except Rodrigo. Yep. So they've picked up a nice partner for Rodrigo and another player as well, Kangin Lee. 
So an absolute star at the Under-20 World Cup for South Korea and looks to be on the verge of breaking into this team. He has so much potential and they are going to integrate him. So those are the two reasons I think Valencia can at least tread water here. They haven't lost too many. They haven't. They haven't lost anyone that they would feel very, very sad about. Yeah. Um, they've, cut, they've cut a little bit of uh, f- sort of deadwood, basically, around the defensive area. They've picked their centre-backs they're going to use moving forward. I think they're, they're very much in control of what they've done this summer. Yeah, I just can't see... I can't look past it all blowing up and Marcelino walking out of December. It's, it's that's, fair. That's my first take. It's out. fair. I just don't believe that Marcelino will be in charge of this club in May. And... I think if that happens, Valencia are in serious, serious, serious trouble. Yeah, could easily happen. Uh, I guess I'm just asking you, Peter Lim, please, please. Back down. Please, just just treat your very good employees the right way. Right. I guess I could say that to everyone. Okay, there you go. let's move on to three. Here is where it gets interesting. It's still Real Madrid. Yeah, I thought you were going to What do you think? This. Yeah, I have them in exactly the same position. So the signings are good. Uh, it would be stupid for me to say otherwise since we spent about three months extolling the virtues of Luka Jovic. Um, they're brilliant. And brilliant they, they, they've, they've made some really good plays. And I really dislike this narrative that Zidane has seemingly kind of peddled or fed that the players that they've bought aren't good enough to impact the eleven, and they've only padded out the bench and actually he's not very happy with the business. I appreciate that he hasn't been given Paul Pogba, who he reportedly was promised. I appreciate Christian Eriksen hasn't arrived. But... They're not short of 10. Come on. They're not short of 10. I mean, come on. I mean, like, I, no one's expecting Eder Militao to, to break into the centre-back partnership because you want Varane and Ramos to play. But Fernand Mendy is an amazing signing. Luka Jovic is just the kind of player they needed. But Eden Hazard is the Ronaldo replacement they've needed for 12 months. Eden Hazard is Eden Hazard. The players that you needed, you have more or less got. You could do with a Casemiro back. I was going to say, the only player you need is the one you seem not to be going after yeah. in that you need a defensive midfielder and you don't seem to want one. Yeah, so basically, it's all good spending 300 million euros. I appreciate that. And they have picked up some really good players. But when the two teams that I have finishing above them and you know who they are... They also have spent about two-thirds of that themselves. They have also strengthened. Yeah. I still have my doubts about this team, and I don't think they can better third place. What this might mean is that they don't mess the Champions League up again. I have my doubts about them. I have my doubts about Zidane. I just have seen... I just weird. wait. It's been weird. I just can't see why he continues. And I'm sure once Casemiro returns and returns to full fitness, we will see them play with two in front of a holding midfielder again. But until that happens, I can't shake this weird feeling that he doesn't understand that Modric and Kroos can't do that by themselves anymore. And it worries me. As, as someone like who has extolled how good these Real Madrid signings have been and how this should propel them back to at least challenging in La Liga and the Champions League again, I can't look past it and it scares me. It scares me too. I, I, read, I read reports about Zidane in, in the, like their local newspapers and obviously uh, articles that Richard Fitzpatrick puts together for us on Bleacher Report. And the feeling among those that deal with Zidane or those that report on him, they basically consistently say the same thing, is that he wants to work with the highest level of player and he's fairly hands-off tactically because he essentially trusts top quality players to figure out the solutions for themselves on the pitch. That's that's concerning. That is massive. That is not how it works. Like balance your team. And look, we spent a couple of minutes here sort of questioning and and maybe even slating Zidane. And it's not really where I wanted to go with this at all. I just have some concerns as to you about about the squad that he's put together and the noises that he is making about the signings, which 
let's let's face it, like they cost fifty million for a reason. They cost sixty million for a reason. These they're are good, brilliant. They're players. good players. Yeah. Play them. And look, this is why I have Real Madrid third because of those worries. Into second is Atletico. I was wondering if you were going to go the whole hog and put them top. I thought you might. Mm, it was tempting. It was tempting. Um, it was tempting, but I didn't do it. <laughs> because, look, I think they'll be better than last year. Uh, they've done a phenomenal job this summer of turning the loss of Griezmann and Godin and Philippe Luis into something to get really, really excited about. And I think there's a, there's a freshness and an exuberance about this team now, yeah, led, by, led by... Jao Felix and and Co. That actually it could have been very very different uh, heading into into this campaign. So well done to Simeone, um, but I don't think they'll have enough to win La Liga. Jack, you said to me pre- uh, recently that you think they might have a chance of winning the Champions yeah, League rather my, than the Liga. My tip, and I'm kind of I'm kind of into it. Um, I think they're going back to their basics. They're going back to what they're good at. Back to back to what they were four years ago, uh, and kind of realigning with their traditional strategy and personality and that's when they're at their most dangerous absolutely so they're in second again yeah i mean look they've brought in felix is the obvious one but they've just looked so sharp and so hot in pre-season and mm. these aren't games against minnows against nobodies these are games against what was nearly a full strength real madrid 11 it, yeah. against what was nearly a full strength juventus 11 and and they've wiped them both aside pretty comfortably yeah. you know they, they haven't looked at all like they were threatened by the sides. And yes, of course, you shouldn't read too much into preseason. Well, the results, certainly, but the combinations. But the way that they're playing and the way that how many options. We said this in our previews for the app about each club. We did this in our Athleti one, but the options that they have now and the ability to rotate within that midfield and attacking areas and to switch it up to make different formations. They can play four holding midfielders behind <laughs> Felix and Costa. If oh, they we'll want see that to. once at least. They can play they can play four attacking midfielders with, you know, Thomas and Herrera holding or Saul. They can play Saul and Koke as the centre midfielders and suddenly be an all out attacking side to basically break down low blocks. They have options which they haven't had for quite a long time, where they can tactically tweak things. And you know what Simeone's like. He's a tough cookie. He doesn't change things up too much. But he will now have options to be able to break down teams. And I think that's so crucial if they're to give this a real go in the Liga because often actually where they've fallen down isn't against the Reals or the, or the Barcelonas because they play well in those games because they're set up to play well in those kind of games. It's actually the, the team slightly below that that they struggle a bit with because they'll wait and there is no counter-attack to have. But now they have mm. those options to kind of break those teams down. I think that there will be a title race in the Liga this year. Do a you remember big how, title Remember race. how many draws they had last year? Yeah, like, it was ridiculous. Like They didn't lose many games, fair enough to them. They were very difficult to beat. But in La Liga particularly, the run of draws that they were going on or, or the, the, the number of draws. And this is directly related to an inability to break teams down and being able to change your system. So we praise them for being able to go back to their best. And that's for the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. We then also praise them for having that flexibility to then beat those minnows as well. And you're right. There probably will be a Champions League, uh, sorry, a La Liga title race this season because in at number one, I still have Barca. Yeah. But there's an element here of, and I think this has to happen, they have to downgrade La Liga ever so slightly in their priority because the Champions League is calling and Valverde's job is on the line if he doesn't get it. Uh, everyone is baying for Messi to win another Champions League and to not waste this Messi window that people talk about. And it's all fair enough. 
So I think they will downgrade their priority on La Liga ever so slightly. However, what have they done this summer? Squad depth. What have they done this summer? They've added Griezmann to now back up or rotate or play alongside Luis Suarez, just as he was starting to look a little bit like his... his Leggy. The, the tread on the tyres was running a little bit thin. Oh, well, by Griezmann. Uh, Frankie de Jong, revolutionary midfielder for them. Junior Firpo, basically the one position they didn't have backup for was, was left back, more or less. If he, uh, No disrespect to Juan Miranda, but Firpo comes in. Yeah. So what am I supposed to do? Like, not make them number one? I mean, they, they are so overwhelmingly strong now. There's the depth, so much depth. The depth and the quality. They have the best player in the world. They've made La Liga theirs for so long. And I don't really see that changing because although Real Madrid and Atletico have done very good work in this summer, it would have taken something extraordinary I mean, from them for me to replace Barca at the top of this table. We saw them play Napoli in Michigan on Saturday night. And they won 4-0. And it was potentially a little bit of one of those where the 4-0 was a little bit harsh on Oh, like Napoli. Man United-Chelsea. tad. <laughs> but, but, but ultimately, Barcelona overran Napoli. Every time they got the ball going forward, they looked like they were going to score. Yeah. The team was Griezmann, Suarez, Dembele, Alenia, um, De Jong. And, and you, you know, you look at that as a kind of front five. Add Messi in, man. There's no Messi there. There's, there was no Rakitic. It was Sergio Roberto playing as the other centre midfielder. He was sort of just rotating in and out, sort of yeah. playing, played a, bit, a little bit of right back towards the end of the game. And the way that that team is just set up to, we have depth in every position. They could play that game, that team, in 95% of La Liga games and win them. Yeah, yeah. That, that team is strong enough to beat pretty much every team outside the other two of the big three. And even then, maybe good enough to, to get a result against one of those sides. So this is what we're saying. This depth side is unbelievable now. Like, it's got to a point where Barcelona can play a second team against a lot of players. And in the way Man City that Man style. City style. Yeah. So Valverde has those options now. And if he can't make that work, he will be replaced. So that's, that's, it's as simple as that. It is. It very much is. You can now... And this, this, is, this only strengthens their Champions League chase as well. Because you can now basically play the A team Wednesday and like half the B team on Saturday. And it's still a team that would like finish fourth in La Liga, maybe. So like that's, that's where we are. It's unavoidable. Like you, you, you're staring straight at it. Barca are even better than they were last season. And they won La Liga last season by 11 points. By a canter. Yeah, I think mostly, mostly all right. I, the only club I would, would bring into the mix that I think you haven't mentioned are athletic club who have had a good summer, not really lost too many, mm. um, were on, went on an outrageous run towards the back end of last season. And, you know, if you look where they were at Christmas compared to where they finished in the table, I think they finished eighth. And they, they'd come from sort of battling relegation to, to being in that top half, battling for a European yeah, place. Yeah, they were, they were really, really worse off in the first half of the season, weren't they? And they absolutely flew out of the traps once they changed managers. Mm. And... I think that with them, Inaki Williams has just signed a nine-year contract. Nine years, man. I've seen people do less time in prison. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where I think that Athletic, if they can keep up the momentum from last season, will be up and around and in the mix this season because they look really strong so back I, end of last year. Yeah, I hadn't thought. I thought the one that you were going to pull me on was um, Hetafe. Just... Uh, I don't think Hatafe can do it again. Yeah, that's that's the thinking. They finished fifth last season and they were right in contention for the Champions League spot until the very end. They finished on 59 points and Valencia in fourth finished on 61. They were so close to making 
a dream, a creating a dream of a season. Yeah. And look, they finished fifth. They've got Europa League. But again, it's this argument where the Europa League stretches you out. And, and, and a team of Hatafe's type, the resources are not unlimited. You know, they played most of the season last season with a 37-year-old striker. This, I think we're going to naturally see Hatafe regress in, the, in La Liga as a result of the European adventure. It's nothing to criticise them for. No. Just don't think they'll be in contention for the top six this year. Yeah, that's it. There we are. There is our top six, well, Sam's top six for La Liga. There are hmm. some disagreements. There are things, but we will... Only minor. Only minor disagreements. And, and like obviously, quite well. obviously the transfer window isn't over, which is always interesting. So, you know, this could be completely different come August the 31st. Could be, could be. So... We have we have something to you know think about given there might be more business to be done in this window. So if you all follow Jack on Twitter and and if Real Betis sign a striker, you will be made aware. I'll let you know. Don't <laughs> worry about that. I will let you know should should Real Betis make their claim for fourth by signing a striker and a left back. Well, thank you, Sam, for that. And coming up next is a big, big special interview. Big, which, big special. A big, big special Woo! interview. We did this when we were in New York and we sat down with La Liga ambassador and Real Madrid, Valencia, Liverpool, former striker, and one of the greatest in-box poachers mm. that the game has ever seen, Fernando Morientes. So we talked to him about La Liga, the Champions League, and what to expect from the Spanish clubs this season. So we're going to do some quick ranks today. It's going to be different topics about La Liga, about football in general. So so I'm going to tee you up with a couple of questions and Sam's going to start us off. Yeah, so let's talk exciting new signings in La Liga this season, so this summer. So give us three players. That you only, really, three. only three. Only three. We, we have a lot if, of players. If you can only pick three new signings that you're really excited to see, who are you taking? But for me, the most exciting player in this moment, like uh, Real Madrid fans, Hazard. Yeah. Hazard is the, the best one. I want to see to watch the La Liga games of Real Madrid uh, for Hazard. Jovic, maybe, because he's a striker. Jovic. Jovic as yeah. well. Uh, Joao Félix, yeah. Atletico de Madrid. He's a young player, and we don't know about him. And maybe Griezmann, in Atletico de Madrid, in Atletico Madrid moved to Barcelona. It's been a yeah, controversial yeah, yeah, yeah. signing. But do you think you know that that's... Some of the answer to Barcelona's problems last season is bringing in that extra extra firepower that Griezmann offers. Or Griezmann, yeah, for sure, yeah, absolutely. What what excites you so much about Hazard? I mean, we know him very very well because he's played in England and Chelsea for so long. But what are you excited to see? What will he bring to Real Madrid? But he's a skillful player, and um, we are starting with him because he, for me, is one of the best in his position. And Real Madrid needs. Uh, this this kind of footballing in this moment, the last the last uh, season was uh, bad, very bad. For, for <laughs> you, can say it. you can say we, it. We are going to forget uh, the, the last uh, season. And Hazard, uh, all the people is uh, ilusionada, como es? Uh, exciting. The people are the supporters of Real Madrid. They are exciting with Hazard. In terms of, you know, you mentioned Jovic there as well. Real Madrid have struggled without the goals from Cristiano last season. With Hazard and Jovic in the same team now, do you think that will go some way to plugging that gap, to, to fixing that problem? In the same position? Well, no, in terms of, like, the two of them together. Ah, in, yeah. the, in the same 11 starter? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's exciting, yes, because Hazard normally create the, the play and Jovic scored the goal. But then you have Hazard score a goal in, in Chelsea 
I have uh, scored a lot of goals. Yeah. And he's a, for me, he's a genius. And we want to see him in his best performance, you know? Obviously, you were a striker yourself. Yes, one I of, was. One of the greats. A lot um, of years ago. And you see, <laughs> oh, Maddie, you... Um, you know, in terms of Jovic, how how good can he be? Do you, you know, have you got? He seems to have everything to be world world class. And Real Madrid have brought him in, obviously, for quite a lot of money. Do you see him going right to the top? Jovic, for me, is a is a, a very good player, but he's uh, young. He's young, and Real Madrid is a, a special team. You know, and the first the first season for him is very important. Because if you you have a very good first season, the supporters are um, uh, how do you say creenti believe they believe yeah. in you, yeah. you know? and this is very important for, for him. But I think when when you are a striker and you score goal in in, in the last uh, year, so many goals. Normal, you score goals. What does it take? Is it a special kind of player to play up front for Real Madrid, to play a striker with that pressure on your shoulders? Does it take a special kind of person? Yes, you have a lot of pressure. <laughs> every day, every day in the training session, you have a pressure. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's different to play in, in Real Madrid than another, another team, for sure. And what about João Felix? How much have you seen of Felix? And what, what do you like about him? João Felix is a, is a new sign for, for Atletico Madrid. We don't know a lot uh, for, for Joao Felix. We, we know that he has done a very good season in, uh, in Portugal, yeah. but Spain is not Portugal. Mm. And he's young. And Atletico Madrid is a, a special atmosphere as well in the, in the pitch. And he has a lot of pressure. And they, have, uh, and they need to, to have under pressure. Under pressure because uh, Atletico Madrid mm. needs to win the, the title. Yeah. The La Liga, Copa, de, Copa del Rey and Champions League as well. Uh, Joao so Felix is young. Yeah, I mean, that takes us on nicely. We'd like you to, to predict the 1-2-3 finish in okay. La Liga this season. Oh. So, we'll start at number three, please. Who's going to finish third in La Liga? Uh, Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big call. It's a big, it's a big call. <laughs> it's a big pre- prediction for me. You can tell he played for Real Madrid, <laughs> can't you? You know, the, the explication is, 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 is easy. I'm a former player of ba- Valencia and Real Madrid. Yeah. In, the first, in the first position... I won the Real Madrid won the, 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 the title many years ago without title and then the second position for Valencia. Valencia they, again. Yes, it's, it. a, Valencia. it's a very good team, it's a, a very good city and I have a lot of friends in Valencia and in, in Madrid as well, for but, sure. I mean, I suppose that takes us on again. You know, Valencia back in the Champions League, it's a you know, big, big season for them in general. How do you see them getting on in the Champions League this year? It will be difficult for them. They, they need to, to sign a new, a new player, but in this moment it's the same, the same squad. And uh, Champions League normally is very difficult for every, every single uh, team, and for Valencia for sure. But I hope in this session uh, they can do the, the best and they can, they can arrive at the, until the final. Right to the top. So who wins La Liga this year? For sure, Real Madrid. For sure? For sure, yes. 100%? 100%. 99. <laughs> <laughs> they need. Can you imagine Real Madrid not win the, the title? I don't need to imagine. After the, the last season, yeah. they need to, to, to win. This, this season is for, for Real Madrid. They, they need to win the, the last season in December. They were uh, 12 points from, yeah. from Barcelona. And this season is the. the they focus in the, 
in the in La Liga title. Yeah. Champions League is uh, amazing for, for Real Madrid as well, but this year is focused in the in La Liga. That's interesting you say that because over the last five years or so, it has felt like Real Madrid have gone for those Champions League titles and maybe left La Liga to one side. Sure. So you're saying now it switches. They need to change the, the focus. <laughs> do you think Zidane will do that? Yeah. Do you think Zidane will, will change the focus? I hope so. I and hope you so. think the transfer business is good enough for Real Madrid to win the league? I hope so, yeah. The transfer business has been pretty mad. Oh, sure. like, it's one of those, you know, another of your former clubs, Liverpool, our yes. Champions League champion. How impressed have you been with them? It's, uh, now it's an it's amazing team. They have the three top players at front. Salah, Mane and Firmino, for me, they are maybe the, the best striker in the world in this, in this moment. And for that, that they, they won the, the Champions League. They have a good uh, season, last season, against Barcelona in semi-final. was uh, incredible incredible huh? game yeah. for, for everybody. Not, not only for supporters of, of Liverpool, for everybody that if you like football, Everyone you, apart from you have to see... Apart from Barcelona. But. Yes. <laughs> yes. For me, it was fantastic game. <laughs> two of it. Two teams. Two things. Barcelona losing and Liverpool winning. Oh, it was fantastic. Right fantastic. Anyway. fantastic. No, I have a, a lot of uh, friends in, in Liverpool. I spent two years in, in Liverpool. Not my best, my best performance, for sure. But I have a mm, very good friend. And I, 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 I won uh, all the best for, for Liverpool, for sure. So, which of your former clubs has the best chance of winning the Champions League this season? This season? Yeah. Liverpool in the third position, because yeah. they, they won the, the last one. And then... There is a lot of teams, but normally the English team and Spanish team is uh, yeah. in the same position, you know? Manchester City, uh, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, for sure. And, and then the Germany, the, the Germany teams. Yeah. Manchester, ma, ma, eh, who is the... Bayern Munich. Yeah. Bayern Munich, yeah. But then, then you have to leave room for that Ajax story. There's always one team. It's very difficult. I, I remember Ajax is the same history that you remember in 2003, 2004. Monaco, I was playing for yeah, Monaco. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's only for, for, one, for one year. You can, you can arrive because you, are a, you have a, a good team, a young, young players. But continuing the same level is very difficult, the, the next, because all the, all the teams... Sign, sign, and spend a lot of money. Take the whole team apart. To win the Champions League. This is yeah. the, the focus of so they, the, the big clubs. Well, they've lost Delict, they've lost Frankie de Jong already. Yes. So there's the spine. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's very difficult for, for this kind of, uh, of team to, to win, to do a, a very good season for, like this. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Sorry for my English, eh? Oh, sorry for my English. Your English is better than ours. Yeah, it is better than Sam's. Better than your Spanish, no? Yeah, exactly. It's much better than my Spanish. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the studio. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. It is time for a very short Bleacher Roulette. Sam, do you want to get us going? I will. Would you choose a season ticket at Atletico or Dortmund this season? This season? This season, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I think Atleti. I was going to say in the previous segment that Atletico, I think, are the most team I'm most excited about in the entirety of Europe this season. And 
I love Dortmund and I think that Dortmund are going to be great and I'm really, really excited to see if they can break that Bayern dynasty. But given what we witnessed at the MetLife in New Jersey, the opportunity to watch that Atleti side week in, week out, I think would be too much to turn down for me this year. I wouldn't turn down either. Let's put that oh, on yeah, record. Let's put it that way. Um, but having been to Dortmund and experienced that atmosphere, experienced that match day vibe, I guess, um, and what I think is going to happen this season, i.e. a title, I think I'm going to have to go for them. Okay. I think I'm going to have to go. Yeah, Dortmund, count me in. Excellent. There we are. Let's go one more spin. What is your new season resolution? For football. For football. <laughs> yeah, no, just like, you know, be better, go to the gym more. No, your new season resolution in the football world. Be even more sarcastic to people on Instagram. Is it actually? No. <laughs> Although I will be doing that. I've decided to take less shit. Um, I'm going to watch as much Atletico and Dortmund as I can. I'm going to watch as much Roma as I can. And yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch as much Sparta Prague as I can. Well, we have a friend now. We have a friend. For, we play for Sparta Prague. So that's nice. Big fan of the pod. Big interview coming very soon. Yeah. With our David, friend David, David Hanko. Hanko. Uh, on loan from Fiorentina. Uh, has joined has joined Sparta Prague. Scored on his debut. Yeah, he did. Big ups, David. Well done. Yeah, congratulations. And uh, going to keep tabs on him and hopefully go out and see him and, and watch him play. Well, Sparta Prague are one game away from the Champions League group stages. Mm. Um, but they have to play Celtic or Cluj. Oh, right. Given. So it's a, a big kind of big kind of game, I reckon. That's, oh, a, right, that's yeah. a big qualifier. So we could see David in the Champions League. Well, let's make it out for the qualifier. Cheer him on. That's it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think my season resolution is I want to watch more Portuguese and Dutch football. Okay, so just as Jao Felix and Frankie de Jong left the league, you thought, I'll get involved in that. I do, because I imagine the next Frankie de Jong and Jao Felix will be coming through the ranks. And yeah. I'm really excited to, to find out who those players are. You know, I've watched a little bit of Porto, a little bit of Benfica, a little bit of Sporting down the years. And we watched more Benfica last season because of the emergence of Jao Felix. And obviously you see the big games in the Netherlands as well, but not so much of it. So I'm making a, a pact with myself to watch more Portuguese and Dutch football uh, and try and identify some players coming through before they do. Particularly Portugal's a very good shout because like most of the players you see ending up at Atletico Madrid or Man City have basically been at Benfica or or, or Porto. Or Porto. Yeah, uh, particularly with Benfica. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Jota, another Jota, new Jota. gets on. Yeah, because there's a, there's a space for him in that team yeah. now that João Felix has gone. So let's see what Jota's made of. For the record, I think he could be absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And make sure you get in your predictions, to, your resolutions to us. We want to hear what your resolutions are for the new season. Get us on Twitter with the hashtag BRFootballRanks or at me or Sam. And we'll tell you what you think of your resolutions. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Run out of gas. Extra effort that is me the on my return. Siren. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, of course. I, I couldn't it. do it for myself. I love it. I mean, it actually was a little bit painful listening to last week's episode while I was uh, on holiday in Spain, just because as soon as that siren sounds, I think, right, I've got to do something. Where's my, where's my script? Um, and I, I just remembered that I was actually on a sunbed. Did uh, you enjoy my nonsense okay. drinking? I did. Yeah? I did. I also really like the poem. Thanks, mate. Really like the poem. Appreciate it. Appreciate uh, you. 
so yeah i've seen some nasty comments about it so i thought i'd come in with some uh <laughs> some positivity yeah thank you yeah we, uh, um, i'm excited to hear you it was really hard doing yeah. the nonsense rankings was probably the hardest part of the show oh i didn't really know what to do with it bit of respect yeah no it was um, really really good about so, 25 of them i'm excited for you to um, take well, your this, mantle back this one is actually i would say more educational okay i've ranked the drakes <laughs> It is. I promise you, it's educational. I've ranked the Drakes. Okay. So in at three is Drake the rapper. Right. As low. He's the third best Drake. I like him a lot, but his stock, I think, pales in comparison to some of the other more illustrious Drakes. Is something affecting this the fact that every footballer in the world is some sort of like contractually obliged to say that their favourite artist is Drake? It's so strange, isn't it? It's, it's really weird. It's something we, we, we talked about while we were on the road. I like and, Drake and, a lot. I like him too. It's like Divock Origi was talking about his favourite artist and he said one and then it was almost like someone had inserted a piece, a message into his brain because he then went, oh, and obviously Drake, I like him too, and then thought of a third one himself. And they all seem to have this like reactionary thing where like I have to say Drake. Yeah. They all say it. Um, Jal Felix said it as well. So literally everyone says everyone Drake. says it. Look, he's great, but he's only the third best Drake. Okay, right. Okay. So Drake, in it too. Drake, I hope you're not too upset by this, but you're only an eight out of ten. You haven't reached your peak, and we'll need a little more finesse to beat out these two. Good. In at number two, stealing your words. At number two is Mandrake, the plant. Better than Drake. So it's mentioned in the Bible. It's revered for its mysterious and potentially demonic qualities. It is derived from the genus Mandragora. A word Serie A fans will be will be quite happy with because Rolando Mandragora is currently plying his trade in Italy right now. Its roots have hallucinogenic and narcotic properties, and it makes an appearance in the second Harry Potter book. It does, yeah, uh, cementing its legacy. Right. Okay. Yeah. And in at number one is Sir Francis Drake. Okay. Obviously. I thought this is where you're going to go with this. Obviously. So, for those unaware. English sea captain, died at uh, 1596, goodness me, 1596 in Panama. And in 1577, he circumnavigated the globe over the course of three years. But the best thing he did was lay the foundations for the PlayStation game Uncharted. <laughs> the first one, which is where you take control of Nate Drake, self-proclaimed to be in Sir Francis's family tree. He recovers his diary thanks to a family heirloom and finds the location of El Dorado, the mythical golden city. Yes. And he goes off on an adventure, and you get to control it. So I think his achievements, his legacy, and what he has actually done for me cements his place as the best Drake, objectively. Right. Thank you for that, Sam. As ever, that's... Uh educational as always that is us all wrapped for this week and all that's left me to do is say thank you so much to fernando morientes for sitting down with us in new york it was a genuine honor and a pleasure thank you very much to sam ty it's good to have you back friend yeah it's nice to be here and i've been jack collins as ever remember to get involved in all things pod using the hashtag BRFootballRanks. Get us on Instagram. Get involved with sending in questions for hot takes and roulette. Get involved in the poll, which goes up on my Twitter every week at Jack J. Collins. If you haven't already, make sure you've downloaded the BR app for the best sports and culture content. Sam and I have just dropped six more club previews for the season on there. So make sure you go and have a look at those. And Dean and I did an extra seven before the Premier League started last week. So go and have a look at them as well. Keep sharing the pod. Keep telling your friends. Keep rating us on iTunes. We really appreciate you, Ranks Pod, as ever. Peace.